Eels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Regan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a de beer. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Green and Gold Rugby Show for another week. Remembering we are the show that's getting you over the game line on the hottest topics of Australian rugby. I'm Reg Roberts and joining me once again this week is Jamie Miller. How are you, Jamie? I'm very good, thanks, Reg. Excellent. And Hugh Cavill, how are you, Hugh? I'm good, Reg. Big week. Let's get stuck in. Yeah, it has been a big week, and we've got the Rugby Championship, the first game of the season, the Bledisloe Cup, no less, but we've also got you know, club grand finals, we've got Wallaroos at the World Cup, we've got the Aon Uni 7s kicking off next week, but it all pales into even significance with the news that was confirmed late last week, that the ARU, following the uh, uh, ARU's decision to discontinue the Western Force, Forces Super Rugby licence. So it's massive. I know our forum, our website is going crazy at the moment about it. Um, people are up in arms. But one of the most prominent figures in this entire saga is the former chair of Western Australian Rugby, but also, um, or I guess as of last week, a former board member as well uh, of the ARU is, is Mr. Jeff Stook. Jeff, thanks very much for joining us. That's a pleasure. Um, now, I appreciate it's a, an incredibly hectic time for you, but probably also pretty stressful, I guess. Can you let us know broadly at the start, what, what's the feeling like over there in Western Australia at the moment? Well, they're devastated and uh, they're angry. And I guess that all goes back to the fact that um, the Western Force was set up to, A, um, expand and grow rugby and to grow wallabies. And it's delivered in spades. Um, they've got um, a huge increase in uh, player participation from 6,000 to 14,000. Um, we've had 20 players um, make their debut at the force and become Wallabies. We've now got 13 local players on Super Rugby contracts. Ten of them played in the team this year. And we've also got three local products who've come through the Western Force ranks to become uh, Wallabies and uh, a couple playing uh, the last few weeks. So it's been an incredible journey for a lot of people and to see it, uh, the rug put under at this point in time has been quite devastating. So they're angry. The anger doesn't just rest with the community. It extends to the community in general the government who has been unbelievably supportive of the team uh, since the outset. So, yeah, no great time over here. I could imagine. And the latest news today, there's obviously been, uh, I think, the, the force, West Australia Rugby made an appeal to the New South Wales Supreme Court. I believe there'll be a hearing next week about an injunction on that decision. So, very significant times. Um, Jeff, I guess for the punters watching, one of the things we have always found hard to get our head around is the process, the decision-making process, how it ended up being the force, for all those reasons you just mentioned. But can we take you back? I guess I talked about your role previously with Australia Rugby, but I want to focus more on and the board and, and of, of the ARU. So you joined the ARU in about 2012, is that right? Yeah, I was chairman here from 88 till um, 2011, yep. a 23-year stint, which included uh, when the force, we um, 
bid and secured the force over here. And uh, I joined the RU board in 2012. And, and when did cutting a team raise its head? You know, did it, did it come to the board at a certain time? When, when did this discussion start happening or were you guys aware of it? Well, there, there were, I won't say informal, there were discussions about the super rugby structure, both at a Australian level and at a Sanzar level, uh, back around August last year. And there were different papers put together, different scenarios bounced around and so forth. Uh, the need to, which still exists, I believe, the need to centralise more our high-performance programs. Uh, we don't coordinate them very well, and uh, it is my personal belief that um, that has contributed far more to the demise of our super teams in terms of their... Back then, there were some very constructive uh, papers and recommendations put together. And around that time, the uh, suggestion that we might move from five to four was being uh, promoted. So it wasn't until February that the board actually took a decision that if certain other criteria could be met, um, they would uh, propose that we move from uh, five to four. Um, that was in Feb- end of February this year. Um, I opposed that move. Uh, principally because I thought we'd fought so hard to get a national footprint. And um, I believe that um, the short-time financial, short-term financial difficulties we had um, could um, be overcome more than losing that footprint and losing um, rugby as well, a genuine national sport. So, and then I guess the process went from then. Yeah, okay. You make a good point. I mean, two years ago, we were in a World Cup final. It's Nothing's changed significantly from the makeup of the teams then. There's obviously other things afoot. I guess, I don't know if you may have seen the Wayne Smith article in The Australian Today, and one of the things he raises was, I think it was, was it 2013 when the force sold their IP to the AAU and the suggestion being that the AAU then... Um, were eager to snap that up pretty quickly because it it might provide them an opportunity. Uh, Wayne Smith suggesting that back then, the suggestion that getting rid of the force might have been on the agenda from that. Does that sit well with you or accurately with you? Uh, Look, that that may or may not be the case. I I wasn't chairman then. But certainly, I think, in all fairness, the Australian Rugby Union and to the Western Force, um, the Western Force had been hugely profitable and successful in the early days in terms of sponsors and crowds and the like, and through a almost a perfect storm where people tired of watching it from an AFL field at Subiaco Oval, too far away from the action, uh, the team then moved to um, NIB Stadium, which at that stage hadn't had the upgrade, so half of them were sitting in scaffolding and temporary seating. And then you had the economic downturn and uh, they then lost their naming rights sponsor. So they were hit badly financially. The on-field performance fell away. We had the saga of the coach being sacked because he signed to go to Queensland. So all these things sort of came at the same time. And the AAU um, agreed to purchase the um, IP, and that provided a fair bit of uh, revenue for the Western Force. So I, I don't believe there was a, a um, 
particularly sinister motive at that point in time. I think they did the right thing by the Western Force. Jeff, uh, the argument that the ARU and Bill Pulver and Cameron Klein put forward um, initially when the decision was made um, earlier in the year and then and then again um, on Friday was was this economic argument that essentially Australia can't afford five teams and that if we were to continue to have five teams then it would lead to ultimately towards insolvency or you know to to, to the code being in really dire financial straits. I mean, but you, you seem to suggest in your answer before that 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 was something you thought you know was a storm that we could weather. I mean. I just wanted to ask you a bit more about that, and and if we were to keep the five teams, how do you see um, the ARU sort of turning around those 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 financial aspects? Well, I'm the first to acknowledge um, times are tough financially, and the super teams uh, in 2016 all got major uplifts in their revenue through the um, incredibly good deal that Bill was able to negotiate. Um, with the broadcaster. Regrettably, despite the $1.5 million uplift, um, they all struggled, including the Western Force. The Western Force had a couple of tough years after that. Uh, prior to that, sorry. Um, in addition to that, um, the Rebels were provided uh, an extra $2.5 million in 2016 as part of a uh, negotiation where they were to be provided an extra $5 million over five years um, as part of the new broadcasting deal so we could basically maintain that national footprint. Um, so even with all that extra money into the system, teams were still struggling a bit. So, yes, I guess what we have to look at is uh, how and where we spend our money, how efficient we are in terms of spending it, how we can rationalise services. There's a lot of duplication throughout uh, rugby um, at a national level. We've got things we do at the, uh, well, I don't say we anymore, but the things they do at the ARU that are duplicated in states and all these sorts of things. So there is a definite need to have a far uh, better uh, coordination, cooperation between the uh, super teams, the state unions and the ARU and how we uh, deliver services and how we incur costs. So there's definitely a need there. We've also... Over the years, recent years, embarked on um, various activities that um, are what I call costs only and not necessarily revenue generators. If you keep in mind, the only two real revenue generators in Australian rugby are the Wallabies and the Super Teams. And they generate uh, about 86% of the total revenue. So it's around about $100 million between them. So, per annum. So that's a fair whack. So the, the others all become uh, sort of uh, just costs. And whilst they're very, very important to the game, we've got to sort of rationalise how we uh, how we manage that. So, yes, it is tough, but um, like in any, any business you run, if you're uh, not getting the revenue, you try to increase the revenue. If you can't, you've got to uh, trim, your, uh, trim your costs. Um, um, but then again, you can't cut yourself... Uh, um, to a point in key areas where your long-term strategies are going to be compromised. You you made mention today in your um in, in your statement uh, on your resignation from the board, sorry, um about uh, 
vocal interest groups in relation to community rugby funding and and uh, obviously you know we've seen in in Sydney in particular a real um, schism between you know the grassroots and and um, you know in that sense of, of club rugby and 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 the more professional ranks I mean do you think that the balance is as you just said then really and just to expand it a little bit just the, the balance between that sort of grassroots and that professional arm is is not quite where it should be yeah, well, I think the, the issue that came up um, over 12 months ago was very much uh, driven by a change in the way um, fees and the like were collected from uh, for players. The system up until the last couple of years was that a player would join a club, he'd be registered by his club, and then his club would pay his registration fees to the member union, his club would pay affiliation fees for the teams, and his club would pay the insurance. And then the club, through their subscriptions, you know, the subs would, they charge their players, would and uh, a group of um, member union representatives and the like uh, then felt there must be a better way because they were struggling to collect subs some unfinancial players, but they, they still played. So the decision was made to do it on a national basis where insurance and the old club affiliation fees and so forth and registration fees would all be collected by the ARU and individual players would be responsible. So before you could play, you had to pay your registration fee. And um, <clears throat> that looked fine in theory. But the problem was that uh, when certain media got hold of it, they promoted that as an AOU cash grab, where in fact all the money collected was either going to pay the insurance or was then passed back to the member union of the participant. Now, the AOU got a bad rap out of that, so uh, next thing we had this whole um, raft of uh, complaints and and media um, about uh, no investment in grassroots. And in fact, in 2016, the ARU invested an extra 4.1 million in grassroots. So they weren't reducing funding, they'd actually made an increase that year. However, um, as you would probably know better than me, gentlemen, that um, when a particular point of view has been prosecuted and it gets some some traction, um, it's hard to stop. So that in itself caused a lot of problems. But it's interesting when you talk about um, the schism that may or may not exist, um, the advice I have from very reliable sources from Brisbane and Sydney is the last two years have probably been the most successful years in the Premier Rugby competition for a long time. Uh, my son-in-law yeah, is the president of one, of the, one of the top clubs in Brisbane and he yeah. reaffirms that. I've got some very close mates around the Sydney clubs and they've said the same. So... Whilst there's a lot of noise out there, and, and certainly we'd all like to put a lot more money into the game, um, um, I think uh, club rugby isn't going too badly after all. Hey, Jeff, it's Jamie. Uh, just a, a quick question. We're hearing a lot of news about the South African teams uh, leaving the competition, and in particular about the Kings and the Cheetahs sort of being a stalking horse for the other more established franchises leaving in a couple of years. <clears throat> From the ARU's perspective, what does the future of Super Rugby look like 5, 10, 15 years down the track? 
Well, I can't speak on behalf of the ARU, <laughs> but I can give you my views. That'd be great. <laughs> um, um, the the preferred option, I think, by most uh, member unions in Australia would be a trans-Tasman competition. Mm. And that would uh, suit in terms of the travel costs, the uh, home and away type things. You don't have a team where it plays three games at home, that's away for five sort of thing. So the Trans-Tasman would be fantastic in my view. Um, and I think most of Australian teams would probably like that. The problem is convincing the, um, the Kiwis that uh, they can live without playing against African teams. Because there is a strong lobby there amongst more the New Zealand rugby union, I think, rather than the actual New Zealand uh, super rugby teams. But uh, that would seem to be um, an ideal situation. Now, if South African teams decide to follow the Kings and the Cheetahs to Europe, that could well uh, open the door for a trans-Tasman competition. My personal view, that would be fantastic. And I think it would have all the appeal that we need and you wouldn't have those long periods of time when... Um, you're, you don't, you can't go down and watch your team play. I mean, rugby league and AFL, um, they can invariably see their team every second week. Um, and if you're in Sydney, you can probably see them every week if it's a team based in Sydney. It doesn't travel too often. But in, in uh, super rugby, you have big gaps. And that was further compounded by the problem was compounded by the fact that um, we had that uh, test window where we had a, a, a suspension in the um, competition. Mm. That's now been rectified uh, going forward uh, year after next. So that'll help an awful lot. It'll help a, a lot because right now you can't afford to lose your momentum, particularly for teams winning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, to answer your question, I think the Trans-Tasman option would be fantastic if you can convince the Kiwis and the, um, the South Africans uh, are happy to go and play in Europe. Um, Jeff, what comes next from your perspective? And I guess a twofold, you've been involved in the game so long, will you remain involved? But I guess more intriguingly, you know, stepping down from the RU board, do you now go back and support Western Australia and uh, West Australia rugby and, and give advise them on, on some, what they may consider doing next as well? Well, first and foremost, um, I still play fourth grade. And uh, that's, that's <laughs> how many games are you up to, Jeff? Oh, about nine hundred. But I, but I enjoy what I do there. So that's that's uh, really the um, and the best part of rugby is playing it. So uh, that's one thing I'll continue to do. Um, I it's only a couple of days. Obviously, I'm uh, quite uh, keen to see. Yep. Um, the situation with the Western Force um, turned around, so I'll make some contribution there. Um, what I do beyond that, I'm not sure, um, but uh, I can't see myself sitting on my hands. But then again, I, I, I'm not going to uh, look backwards and, and sort of go back to the sort of things I was doing before. So I'll do something, but I, um, I will stay uh, I'm passionate about the game. I don't lose any of that passion. I still vehemently support the Wallabies and they'll continue to do that. So I, I don't think um, those things are going to change. But what I actually do on a day-to-day with respect to rugby uh, still will be sorted out other than uh, playing on Saturdays during the season. Jeff, um, the, the, you, the, oh, sorry, the, the, you, you sorry, sorry yeah. Reg, uh, just quickly. I mean, I want to talk 
the legal challenge, I mean, I and and we've we've sort of shied away from talking about it on this show because we realise that we're not sort of uh, legal experts, um, and I, and I don't expect you to necessarily be um, commenting on it either. But I mean, t- t- do you have any insight into what the forces, what the forces' chances are of of potentially getting this injunction and 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 coming back next year, or is it sort of really last gasp at this stage? Well, um, firstly, I'm in the same category as you. I'm not a lawyer and so forth. However, the um, the legal, the arbitration was not about uh, whether the right process was went through or or should it have been Melbourne or should it have been Brumbies or should it have been Force or anything else. It was all about the capacity of um, the ARU to remove, it, remove the Western Force. And the alliance agreement had a provision in it whereby if the um, broadcasting arrangement was changed, broadcasting arrangement was changed, or the contract was changed, that null and void the, um, basically the agreement. Now, the contention from the Western Force was that uh, the alliance agreement and the broadcasting side had not changed. It was simply a minor amendment and uh, the ARU had a different view. And uh, the arbitrator ruled in favour of the ARU. So it really wasn't to do with the nitty-gritty of, um, of the process. It was more about the capacity of the ARU to actually remove a team. Uh, with respect to the other four teams, I think there's probably um, far less scope in, uh, for them to, uh, to remove any of those teams. I think the legal position with them is all pretty tight and that the ARU would not be in a position to uh, um, forcibly remove one of them. So I guess um, once the arbitration came out in favour of the ARU, uh, the Western Force became a soft target. Jeff, just further to that then, would you would you go so far as to say that the ARU's decision was not so was not based on rugby reasons or even financial reasons. It was just whichever contract that they could get out of the easiest and allow that team to be cut rather than, than, than any other. And, and it came down to the force simply having that clause, which would allow them to, to, to be cut. Well, firstly, um, I can't comment on the financials per se, because I don't know the, um, the financials in, uh, with the rebels, uh, from the rugby point of view, well, it certainly wasn't on rugby because, um, every, reasonable metric in terms of the rugby side, it would be the force to stay every time. Um, and uh, I've long held a view that, um, and had a concern, sorry, rather than you had a concern that you don't remove a team because you can, you remove a team only because you should. However, in saying all of that, uh, that's what happened. Looking forward, um, the Rebels are going nowhere. They, they, they're here to stay. Uh, the other three are here to stay. So the other only alternative really now is to um, in also include the, uh, the force as your fifth team. Um, Jeff, we'll, we'll let you go in a second. A, a question for you. Looking forward, I guess, um, You've stood down your position from the board, and I guess from an, uh, the ARU, from a senior executive position, has 
um, lost some people or some some senior people have moved on as well, including CEO Bill Pulver has announced he won't, uh, I guess, extend his contract or look for an extension at least. Um, two, two questions. One, do you expect any more changes at the top, any more changes at the board at least from this? And two, what sort of CEO does Australia Rugby need next? Well, firstly, there'll be one change to the board because someone's going to replace me. So that's about all. Yep. But as far as the uh, remaining directors go, um, I don't think so. Um, we had elections in um, in uh, April this year and uh, March this year. I think it was April, April it was April. So um, I can't see any major changes at this point in time. There could be changes if the um, if the uh, appeal is successful. Um, but uh, that remains to be seen. But at this stage, I can't imagine too many changes there. Um, as far as the um, CEO position goes, uh, let me put on record now that um, um, Bill Pulver, uh, when he first came in, uh, was faced with some challenges and did an outstanding job. Uh, he reduced overhead of the RU by about $5 million. Uh, he... Um, Spent a lot of time developing relationships around the country, and uh, I guess what's happened in recent times with the various challenges, uh, the various media attacks that Bill's had to suffer, um, and then this particular issue coming up and um, how it's progressed, um, it's been difficult for him, and, uh, and clearly he and I have uh, quite uh, differing views on um, what sh- should be happening at this point in time what should have happened uh, over the last month or two. However, that doesn't change the fact that uh, so many of the attributes that Bill brought to the job are very important. Um, I think um, someone in that role needs to have a fairly solid understanding of, uh, of the, the nuances of the, um, the game structure in terms of uh, teams, member unions and the like. It is not easy for someone to come in and just see it from a purely business perspective. I think you have to have a feel for the game, but they also have to have sound um, business skills and, and the like. So it's um, it's a difficult one, but I I think that someone has to have some understanding of um, what happens in a, a sport that has both a professional arm and an amateur arm and the interface between them and, uh, and also bring those... Um, business skills to it and also be able to um, somehow bring together and have them working cooperatively a, a group of um, organisations that uh, every week we can go out and are fierce competitors. Yeah, okay, excellent, Jeff. It is a tough role to fill, no doubt, particularly um, given the current circumstances current circumstances. Look, Jeff, we'll let you go. Really appreciate your very generous time and and, and particularly at this busy time. Um, uh, we wish West Australia rugby well. I mean, we, I think we all believe that you know, it should be five teams and we would like the force to stay. I, I'm interested in your, your, your point about the trans-Tasman competition. It's a model that we've talked to, so I believe it's here. So, Jeff, yeah, thanks very much for your time. If I could add one yeah, comment. I'd just like to thank the thousands of people who have made contact with people in the West supporting us and there's been probably more coming out of the Eastern States than uh, actually in West Australia itself. Whilst the West Australians are fiercely competitive, 
it is, it's blown me away. I've got guys I've been to school with in 1964 in Sydney uh, ringing me up to say, mate, we're behind you. So it's been, the support has been incredible and we appreciate it. Oh, that's great, Jeff. Thanks very much. And thank you again and we wish you all the best. Cheers. Thanks, mate. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, mate. We'll speak to you again. All right. What an interesting, interesting. What an interesting interview, Reg. I, I thought that was, that was fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it, it gives you, I mean, He's an impressive guy. I mean, he, he could have unleashed there. I mean, he could have had a go at any number of people, but there he was. And you can still hear his passion for the game and indeed for what Australian rugby has achieved of late and some of the positives and, and even Bill Pulver as CEO. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it was uh, an interesting perspective from a, obviously a very highly credentialed. I, I don't know if you guys know, he's, he's, he, I think he holds a record in Australia, 900 odd club games um, it, and still playing, which I didn't realise, but uh, has been intimately involved at the high level of Australian rugby as well for a number of years. So uh, a nice insight. Got to say, though, still playing at his age, I mean, it, it, obviously um, it'd, be a, it'd, be a, it'd be a hard coach to drop him, uh, the chairman of <laughs> Rugby WA and uh, hold him for the... Stiggy's gone. Record. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No one's putting him out to pass for any time soon. Quickly, Reg, one comment I've had, and Jamie, I'd be... I mean, I just wonder if, in the whole saga, stepping back, and, and I've, you know, we've talked about this enough, um, you know, plenty of times through the year. But yeah, you know, and and throwing back to when they initially announced that they were going down to four teams, where you know, I think we could see the justification for it, and and um, you know, it made a bit of sense financially to to go down to four teams. Had they actually made that decision in the 48 to 72 hours that they said at the time, had they ripped that Band-Aid off mm. and said it's the force, um, I have a feeling that the reaction might be very different at this point in time. Instead, because they bungled it so badly, they didn't know what they'd committed to, they didn't know the, the contracts that they had tied themselves into, um, we had this period of sort of four months of allowing the momentum to build behind the West and then for really mounting a campaign to stay, winning the hearts and minds. And how could you not uh, get behind them when you see them, the way that they played and the way that they rallied around that team? And so where I, you know, previous to this, I mean, I actually thought it was the Rebels that should should go, but that's neither here nor there at this point. You know, I've sort of come around in my thoughts a little bit because you look at that, um, you know, what that, force team was able to do this year and you go well how on earth should would we cut them yet if if they mm. made that decision quickly back you know yep. months ago then i think we, we might be in a different spot now yeah i definitely yeah, think I'd, I'd go jamie sorry yep yep yeah i definitely think there is something to that um i also think that the rebels on balance probably should have been the team to go um what, what's just so confusing to me is this idea that we're going to cut a team and and just see where things go. I mean, the South Africans are, are being so open and honest about the attractions of moving to Europe. And if three years from now they leave, they step out of the competition and suddenly we're doing this trans-Tasman thing, we're going to have to reboot the Western force. Like, that's, that's just logical that we're going to have to do that. Um, and it just, it just seems like such a strange time to make this decision without commitments from the South Africans. Um, and it's it's just hard to get your head around it. It's it's hard not to feel that there's something more going on, and I think that's what Wayne Smith was getting at in his in his article by pretty much stating outright that the ARU had planned this from a, a long time ago. 
the, the lack of transparency in the process leads a normal observer to think that something like that is possible um, because we just don't have enough information to understand how this decision has come to. Um, and look, I think there is a certain sense to it financially, and I'm sure the ARU will be praying that this legal challenge gets wrapped up quickly and all the players get uh, divided amongst the other franchises and therefore that they play better next year. And let's face it, I mean, the performance of the Australian teams was pretty average this year and some of those force guys could really, really fill some holes in the rosters and, and hopefully lift performance across the board. And I'll bet the ARU is praying like crazy that that's what happens. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, you know, part of me thinks... You, we give the AU too much, too much credit there. That they that that they had some fantastic strategic plan a couple of years ago to to achieve this. I I, I don't feel that unfortunately. Um, but like you say, Hugh, I don't think there's many other options. And even Jeff uh, sort of accepted that that everyone else was pretty watertight in their terms of their agreement. So if anyone was going to go, it was pretty much going to be the force. So um, let's hope that. Um, but look, it's not dead in the water yet. Obviously, court cases proceeding but uh, if it does go the way it's I guess it's likely who knows there may be another Sydney Rabbitoh situation if you remember they were I think they were cut back in after Super League and and through courtrooms and public rallies fought their way back to get readmittance to the the NRL or whatever it was at the time a couple of years later because um um you know the the force had that sort of groundswell to gain that regain keep that momentum going and like you say, Jamie, who knows what the competition looked like in a couple of years' time, but you'd like to think the force will be a part of it. Well, Reg, I mean, let's not allow the ARU to escape unscathed. I'm normally, you know, I've been accused of being an ARU apologist in the past, but this is one of the all-time great sporting bungles in Australia. Um, and, Terrible. you know, Wayne Smith's allegation, for those that didn't read the article, was essentially that the ARU was playing the long game with the force. They had their eyes on cutting a team. And even Jeff, and, and now it was common knowledge, that the board were discussing this from around February. Um, so the fact that they went into that Sanzar meeting not knowing their contractual commitments to both the force and the rebels and then agreed to cut a team and then announced with a 48 to 72 hour time frame that in hindsight, um, was completely unfeasible and com- set expectations wildly out of kilter where, where they should have, um, is, is negligence in the extreme. To not have that awareness of what the contracts that they themselves had legally committed themselves to, um, not to mention the fact that in those, that, that in both of those clauses, the heads of agreement with Rugby WA and their contract with the Imperium Sports Group in Melbourne did not include a clause that could legally and easily allow the ARU to potentially wrap that team's license up if indeed it became necessary to do so is just, oh, it's just incompetence, uh, staggering levels of incompetence. And, you know, just putting it all on Bill Pulver is not enough. It's a, it's a systemic failure with multiple people through that organization that failed, uh, in the, through the genesis of these agreements, through the execution of the strategy, and then the actual implementation of the, the, um, process of arbitration and wrapping up these teams. It's been just absolutely one mistake after another. And, and you know, it's, 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 it's going to be looked back on in years to come as, as having a devastating result on, on, to, to this game, to the rugby in Western Australia, um, and, and, you know, ultimately to, to the, to the administration of Bill Pulver, who really had done a lot of things right up in his, in his time up until that point. 
And, I mean, in sport as in politics, if you're going to announce some big policy change, if you're going to announce some controversial reform, you've got to explain and engage the public as to why that is. You've got to prepare the ground, have an honest, clear communication strategy. I mean, that's the way to sell an idea. And there's just been no indication of that from the AIU. There's been no indication that they think that was important. Um, even now, you know, there's just so, so much that's in the dark. There's so much that we don't know. And there's just never seemed to be this idea that the AIU realized this was going to be a very controversial move at the grassroots. And therefore, they should have uh, Pulver going on the radio regularly and other people from the AIU and talking about exactly the nitty gritty of why this had to happen. Um, and that's just a, a failure in that distance between the grassroots and the corporate room in the structure of Australian rugby. Uh, Hugh, you make the point of uh, we, we don't know where this future of the game is, and that's a really good one because I, I've never been so uncertain about you know its long longevity, I guess, and you know you, th- those other codes. And it happens. I mean, you look at Cricket Australia and what they've been through, and how you know that is a, obviously a different type of scenario but that got pretty negative for a while but they will just throw you know 10 million bucks at it you know that they or whatever their marketing campaign 20 50 million bucks the nrl the same all the dramas they have with the player conduct and drugs all that sort of stuff they just open up their marketing purse and throw a little bit more at it they get tina turner or whatever out to do another campaign the afl they've got a brainwashed community down there so that's all they need but we you just don't have that, and it, it, it's going to be staggering to see. Be fascinating to see where the AU can take this game if they can take it anywhere. Because, um, as you say, there's a lot of questions to be asked. And uh, God, God bless the person willing enough to take on that CEO role because it's a, it's going to be a, a challenge and a half. Well, and, and Paul Cully summed it up really well in today's Sydney Morning Herald and in, in, through the Fairfax Press. I'd encourage everyone to read that article as well, which is basically saying that, I mean, the, the, the core problem is, and, and, and Jamie, you know, using Jamie's best case scenario where we, you know, if the force indeed are, are, are dissolved and the best players go to the super teams that remain and actually the TV deal is still very healthy. So we get a good influx of cash to all of those teams and, and hypothetically, you know, all of their, all of those teams improve their performance. Dave Vessels goes to the Rebels, so they start to get better as well. Um, and yet we're still left with this dog of a super rugby competition. So that, that's the fundamental problem. It's that people aren't necessarily turning off Australian rugby. It's they're turned off Sansa. And so you've got to wonder that if this is really the first major crack, or you know, probably not the first actually, major crack in Sansa, and if this is you know a big step in Australia just packing up their bags and going away from it because clearly the the rugby championship is not engaging people like it once did. Super rugby is not engaging people like it once did. I mean, are we better off burning this whole thing to the ground and starting in 1995 again and going back to playing one-off tests and tours and that sort of thing? Mm. Tours, yeah, that'd be interesting. Um, look, look, let's, um, we could go on and on and we do have a Bledisloe Cup match this weekend and uh, I think we're getting up to an hour, at least a close to it, maybe 50 minutes odd. So I want to turn our attention, guys, to the Wallabies and, and, and give us a chance, however difficult it may be, to talk with some positively, positivity and hope. Um, so we take on the All Blacks this weekend, Jamie. Uh, we don't know teams. It's early in the week. Obviously, it's a Monday night. We probably won't know them until Thursday or Friday. What 
what team do the Wallabies need to pick to, to beat the Wallabies? They're rank outsiders at the moment, but you know, can we be a chance? And what, what do we need to see on the pitch to make that happen? Well, well, we might know the team by Thursday, and we'll discover who's on the bench about four the minutes bench. before kickoff. <laughs> um, yep. Look, I think I think the team, you know, pretty much picks itself from the junior internationals, um, you know, more or less. It'll be nice to see uh, Foley and Beal back in midfield. They have a great connection, and I don't think it's any secret that Israel Folau plays a lot better when uh, when Kurtley Beal's inside him, giving him the ball and creating space with his quick feet and his passing game and his running game. Um you know, we're always a chance. It's just, uh, it's it's not so much a, an issue of cattle. I think it's just more an issue of strategy and and tactics. And you know, I'd really like to see us uh, go back to what worked in what I thought was the, was the best performance we've had as a Wallaby team for about the last five or six years, which was that match against England in the in the Rugby World Cup, um, where we just beat them at everything all over the park. You know, we were both creative, but then we, you know, we, we chilled the game down when we needed to. We played possession sometimes, we played territory, and then we dominated them in the scrums. You know, that that's what I want to see. I want to see a team that respects the foundations, that thinks the set piece is important and thinks defense is really important. Um, and hopefully the June Test Series has knocked that through the skulls of, uh, of the team management. But, you know, we'll wait and see. Uh, what do you guys reckon? Well, Hugh, I don't want to ask you first, going on one of Jamie's comments there, is um, is the team as, as clear-cut as he says? I mean, I've I've got plenty of questions on who plays certain positions, and I don't have any answers necessarily for some of them. Hooker, bat, you know, blindside, halfback, the centres. Um, what do you think? I think it's going to be a fascinating selection um, selection debate. And actually, you know, one of the things about this Super Rugby saga over the past couple of weeks is it's allowed the wallabies to operate in in relative anonymity they there hasn't been a usual flow of articles of this is the year and you know that sort of weirdly positive rhetoric which is you know (laughs) at best optimistic and at worst just deluded um and you know it's allowed the wallabies they've gone to cessnock they've gone to the hunter and done some work there they've now gone into western sydney and 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 uh, i think they're at coogee's at the moment and and you know by and large there's been Injury issues to guys like Carmichael Hunt and Seth Naivalu, but um, Dane Hale at Petty's battling an injury as well. Um, but you know, really, the 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 squad was named with a couple of real left field guys like your Adam Korchicks and your Isaac Rodders and and these sort of guys. And I mean, God knows with Checker the way that the way that uh, his attitude is at the moment is is you know we could get a really left field pick. At the same time, we could just get an unchanged lineup from the from the game against Italy, yeah. barring the couple of injuries. You know, we could, um, and the guy like Ned Hannigan will be really interesting to see. Does Checker, you know, was the mid, mid-year internationals, was that just an experimentation? Or is this bloke the real deal? Are we throwing him into the All Blacks? I mean, there's a, there's a few, uh, and you know, we've got Rob Simmons and Kane Douglas back in the fold. I mean, are they, are they all of a sudden back into the team or are we, or, or we just got them around for the experience? I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, the other one you talk about, the, the centre combination, one of the ones mooted in the paper is this Beal Karevi, which is um, a wonderful attacking, you know, it's an exciting attacking combination. Um, and, and part of my theory last year was that, God, you know, you've just got to score more points to the All Blacks. They'll always score points. You've just got to score more points to them. And that type of centre combination 
you know, encourages that. But I, the way the Lions played, and you know, sure that they weren't successful. That wasn't necessarily the case. It was, uh, it was about shutting down and slowing down and so on. So uh, yeah, I, you're right, Jamie. It's it's how they'll play this game, and I'm, I'm just, I haven't seen enough of late to uh, to convince me that we uh, we had that game plan to beat the Blacks. Yeah, I'm not sure. There's a lot of options there. Um, I mean, I. I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm hopeful and wishful, but, you know, I've been hopeful and wishful before, you know, and I, I thought the All Blacks, you know, after all, they just, they just come off a tied series at home. They were not super impressive across that series. Um, they were impressive in patches in the first game. Um, but still a couple of those three tries they scored then were, were sort of against the run of play or sort of just, just random tries. Um, so you look, they're not quite hitting their straps. It's just a matter of whether, we as a team can stand up mentally and say that we can win and then actually develop a strategy that goes onto the front foot while while not being mindless about it, while still seeing the value in the fundamentals, still seeing that it's important to put those kicks into the corner, still sees that it's important to to try to to defend properly, to actually look like a, a, a line for once. Um, that would be good. That's what I want to see. All right, guys, I'm going to throw some positions at you and I'd like your insight. You know, quick couple of statements on who you think will be there. So, Hooker, uh, Moore or Tatafu, I guess, you know, we'll, I know you're a big fan of young Jordan Ulessi, uh, uh, Jamie, but I think we can write him off. Who, who starts, Moore or Tatafu, uh, Hugh? Uh, oh, that's, that's the hardest one. I'd, I'd say probably Stephen Moore. Okay, Jamie, what do you reckon? Yeah, I think they'll go with Moore, but I think they should go with Pilotta now. Okay. Um, I don't have any real question marks over the rest of the tight five. You know, maybe Scotty Sio after his performance versus Italy, but I'm happy with, I think, where we think that is. But blindside six, uh, do you think, Jamie, do you think Ned Hannigan will hold it or will he will he throw a Sean McMahon in there or, uh, you know, Blood Korshik perhaps? Uh, I think he'll probably go with Hannigan, but I think McMahon would be a better choice. Uh, Hugh, what do you think about that one? I, I, look, I'm a I'm a I'm a big believer um, in McMahon, but I mean Korchik, I don't know, I don't know. I mean the thing about this is 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 that they've been training for what seems like three to four weeks now, and you just don't know what 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 what's going on. Yeah, those training patterns. Yeah, saying yeah, yeah, but um, yeah. So essentially, I I, I don't know. I I I, I, I you know, then had a bit of mongrel about him. I'm not sure if he's ready for a Bledisloe though. No, no. All right, what about? Halfback. I mean, I guess Genny is, is vice captain. Does that guarantee him the nine jersey, or will we get Phipps's you know, quick delivery back up there, or even Joe Powell? Uh, um, I'll, I'll give you a million dollars if I'll give you a million dollars if Joe Powell is selected to start yeah. in the blow after what happened in the mid-season mid-seasons. I think Genny. I mean, check is all aboard the Genny Express. So um, I, I'm, um, I'd be very very surprised if he wasn't starting. Jamie, feel the same there. Yeah, I do. I, I think it's one of our weakest positions at the moment, to be honest. It and is. I can't believe some of the, the numbers that are being thrown around for Will um, at the moment. But yeah. Yeah. He's the best of a, of a bad bunch, I think, at the moment. All right, and then finally, just that centre combination. I guess, is Bill the lay down for 12? And who would you have outside him, Hugh? Do you, do you think Kurt Lee will be at 12, injury permitting? 
Uh, yeah, Curly will be at 12, and I think Tavita Kundrani will start 13. I think he, he, he played well enough to hold his spot, and I'm not sure what Samu Karevi's injury situation is at the moment, um, but um, I'd, I'd be surprised if he went straight into the team. Although I've got to probably if he was fit, because he's, we've got to look for that X factor and really try and roll the dice if we're going to beat the All Blacks, so that's probably our way of doing it. All right, and Jamie, what about you? No, Kuradrani, I think he's he's very consistent and in defense I think he's he's right up there in the elite thirteens in the game. I think he does so much putting out of fires for us on that edge of defense. Uh it's Tavita all the way. Alright. So the All Blacks have had a few injuries. Dane Cole's out, I think uh uh, Geordie Barrett now, so their fullback depth may be pushed. They can only, you know, they'll only revert back, back to, I don't know, is Israel Dag fit? They'll, concerns there. Anything out of the All Black camp to give us any hope, Jamie? Oh, well, uh, actually on my to-do list today is to ring the embassy to find out if I'm a New Zealand citizen. Um, <laughs> so, I'm, and I, I suspect I might be actually. So, uh, I'm not sure I can be entirely objective on this anymore. Um, how, wait, you need to declare this to be on this podcast, Jamie. Have you not read Green and Go Rugby's constitution? <laughs> Absolutely. I might be in breach. You might have to refer me to the high court, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I think the All Blacks, will, you know, they've got a strong team as always. A few injuries doesn't change that. Um, I, I do think we should be trying to rattle Bowden Barrett if he's if he turns up at 10. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that, I mean, he's always been a little bit of a streaky, flashy type player rather than a, you know, a stable, calming presence at 10. But I think his, his form in that Lions series was very iffy. And um, I think he's someone we should really be looking to get in the face of and, and not let him get on those rap plays where he's able to use his pace on the outside. So that'll be very interesting to see how the All Blacks evolve from what was a huge disappointment for them. Let's not put it any other way. Um, all right, look, we... Uh, there's... Not much more we can go into until we see teams and so on. So uh, Green and Gold Rugby will obviously cover it in full and we look forward to seeing it on Saturday night and hopefully next week we'll have a major upset that we can discuss. Um, talking about uh, Australian teams, the Wallaroos, the Rugby World Cup's over at the moment. The Wallaroos haven't had the best start uh, to this tournament, unfortunately. Not a bad performance versus Ireland, just a close loss there, but a, a shellacking at the hands of France just overnight where you're really starting to see that gap of, um, I guess, competition back here in Australia. Jamie, have you caught any of the World Cup? Yeah, I looked a bit at the first game. Uh, they should have won that. Um, yeah. A little bit of uh, average goal kicking, actually some very average goal kicking, really cost us down the stretch. Um, and then just, I think, playing in Ireland with that home crowd uh, just gave Ireland that extra 2% that they needed. But we were right in that, so... Um, it's great to see women's rugby thriving over here in the US. It's it's absolutely massive. It's just huge, um, and it's great. The culture of the game is is distinctly different from men's rugby, um, and it's a good culture. It's a great culture, in fact. Um, so it's really good to see Australia getting on that on that bandwagon a bit bit behind time for sure. Um, and I think you know I think we all know that that it, that this uh, creation of the new sevens tournament is just the just the start. You know, and it's going to be something that's going to be a growth area for Australia, and uh, and that's great. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, we had Timmy Walsh on a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about Shannon Parry and Shani Williams playing Mahindra Murphy. They were all three standouts 
in that game. I thought there are other very good players as well. Uh, the young halves, including the young 10, uh, who's from Western Australia, ironically. But, you know, I thought Parry and Williams were sensational at sort of scrum, uh, sorry, um, flanker and inside centre. They, they, they were really solid performers. So it'll be interesting to see, even from that A on sevens, whether that, you know, creates a pathway to 15s as well. Because I'd like to think that there'll be a bit more investment back into 15s as well. We'll see, we'll see if that happens. Can only be investment if there's money there, I guess. But, um, uh, hopefully the, the ARU find a way to put some bit more meat behind the, uh, the participation or the, I guess the preparation of that 15s team as well. Um, Hugh, club grand finals, mate, all happening down in Sydney? Well, semi-finals, Reg. We're, 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 yeah, we're Sydney, building yeah, into the sorry, finals. You're a week behind, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, the quirks of the system here with, with the 16 finals meant the Southern Districts, who had a pretty good season up to that point, um, were knocked out. Um, because the sixth place team Eastwood actually got up and knocked off the first place team, which was Manly in, in, in one of the upsets of the season. So, uh, Eastwood this week are playing, um, Norths, uh, in a bid for, for Norths being the defending champions, um, and hoping to go return to North Sydney Oval for the grand final. And, and the other semi final is, um, is Manly against Warringah, uh, the, the, uh, the Northern Beaches battle, uh, I think it's yeah, the battle. As in a semi-final, which will just be in a huge, huge game at Manly Oval there. Um, and, um, yeah, so it's going to be a really enticing uh, couple of games for, for rugby fans this weekend before the grand final on the 26th of August at North Sydney Oval. So I hope everyone gets uh, gets down to that one because uh, regardless of this, it's going to be a, it's going to be a great game. Yeah, awesome. Well, up here in Brizzo, we're a week ahead of you. So our... Our grand final is this week, and um, as we talked last week, Jeeps won the major semi, so it went straight through. And as it went this week, uh, UQ played Sunny Wank in the in the I guess what is it the knockout preliminary final perhaps, and and um, UQ were back to their best and, and really took the game away from Sunnybank very quickly and and, and showed complete control. Uh, young Moses Sorovi, the Reds' backup scrum half, was excellent, but really solid defence um, through that young university team. And they, So they'll play Jeeps on Sunday afternoon, 3 o'clock at Ballymore, which will should be a huge grand final. Jeeps got a massive supporter base. They'll be big. Uni will have um, uh, their usual big numbers there as well. So uh, great day at Ballymore on Sunday with all the, the grades playing earlier in the day as well, which is exciting. And, I, you know, it'll be live streamed on um, the Reds YouTube site and I think their Facebook page. So I know all the interstate people are keen to watch. Um, it should be some good rugby, particularly those West Australia listeners tonight. There's a, a handful of West Australian guys on that Jeep side, AJ Alatumu and uh, a few of the other guys as well who played for the Spirit in the NRC. So um, very interesting to watch. So it, it should be a, a fantastic grand final. Um, uh, anything else, lads, we want to get to? It's been a big show. We've been on for a while, so happy to wrap up. But anything else you want to touch on, Jamie, at all? No, I think it's pretty much it. I've, I've burnt out all my, uh, all my anger. You could go have your breakfast, mate. I can, I can. Really looking forward to it. <laughs> Good for you. And you, uh, anything to wrap up, mate? Are you happy? No, back to our burning questions next week, Reg. All of these yeah. weeks of no structure. I'm, I'm, I'm loose. Exactly. I'm, it's, it's, it's thrown us out, you know. We just ran. <laughs> no, more, no more guests. Three weeks in a row, we'll get back yeah, to exactly. just, uh, just exactly. a little conservative selves. Sorry, sorry, um, Dave Vessels. We were going to have you on next week, but we can't. We've got to have a break. <laughs> um, 
Excellent stuff, guys. Look, thanks a lot for joining us uh, and to Nick, our producer. Um, but to all our listeners, uh, thanks again for uh, joining us and listening. And we hope you enjoyed uh, the last three guests, in particular, Jeff Stook tonight. And uh, get all out there and, and watch your respective club and school rugby this weekend and enjoy. And we'll catch you next week. Heels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Gregan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a beer.